like it's been about 30 seconds. Anyway, it's my pleasure to bring you the word this morning. If you are listening online at crosschurch.ca slash listen, hi, and hello to all of you. This is the second Sunday of 2019 and the second week in our series, Moving Forward, Pursuing God in 2019. Last week, Pastor Chris talked about things we need to leave behind. We asked the Holy Spirit to tell us what that thing is, and then this week we're going to go a little bit further than that. Now, because it's only the second Sunday in 2019, we're still sort of in that New Year's resolution mode, aren't we? Did anybody make any New Year's resolutions this year? No, I got some shaking. I got about one hand up. Everybody else is kind of looking at me like I'm silly. Um, I thought I'm going to show you a little picture here, and I think maybe there's some achievable resolutions here. 2019, get older, gain weight, do stuff, drink coffee, try not to die. How many of you think, yeah, I could do that in 2019? No problem. Easy peasy. It's interesting. Um, there's kind of two camps when it comes to how people feel about New Year's resolution, aren't there? One camp is like, ah, oh, don't do it. It's a cliche. If you want to make yourself better, just do it today. Nobody needs to wait till January 1st. Blah, 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 blah. Ugh. And then the second camp is, I'm going to make all the resolutions. December 31st, I'm one person. January 1st, completely different person. All new, all the time. And then that only lasts till like January 8th, right? And then we just kind of go back and do our, do our own thing. I fall into the second camp. I like making New Year's resolutions every year. Uh, I've had varying levels of success. Sometimes I do pretty good. Sometimes, you know, January 8th rolls around and eh, who cares? Uh, This year, I'll share with you my resolution because if I make it public, then I kind of have to do it, don't I? This year in 2019, I resolved not to buy any new clothes. And now I've said it out loud to a room of people, so if you see me wearing new clothes, you can call me out. Yikes. Some people here know how difficult that might be. Now, some people joke about resolutions, and I think that's because uh, it's pretty apparent that they don't work, right? Uh, Forbes magazine says just 8% of people who make resolutions actually follow through and complete them. Another study says that the vast majority of people make it to January 9th and then they abandon the resolution. So today is, what, the 13th? So, yeah, we've all ditched our resolutions by now. But making change is important, isn't it? We're kind of wired to want to be better versions of ourselves as we grow. We want to use the information coming in to make ourselves better people. So making resolutions in January, I think it's far from cliche. It just uses the natural momentum that we have in life to help us make changes. And of course, I think the most important revolution of all, resolution of all, is to follow Jesus. And I might be biased. I've been here in ministry for 12 years, going on 13. So don't do any math in your head. Don't try and figure out how old I am. Um, There's a couple things I've learned in my own faith as I'm kind of growing up, as I'm working, and then in helping others follow Jesus. And I I think it's important to want to follow Jesus because Jesus is never going to lead us into anything that's not good for us. He has our, our best intentions in mind while he's discipling us. It's difficult. You'll grow and do things you don't like, and you'll give up things that you do like. But it'll all work out. It'll all be good for you. Those who are believers know that the Holy Spirit prompts us every step of the way. Remember last week, Pastor Chris, we paused right before he concluded, and we we just stopped and we said, Holy Spirit, is there anything you want to tell me that I need to leave behind in 2018? 
so I can move forward. You know what it's like to be prompted by the Holy Spirit, right? It's, I, I mean, some people might hear audibly. I've never experienced that. But it's kind of like this poking, this thought that intrudes our head, or like this poking on the inside. The Holy Spirit is talking to you. It's like a nudge or a poke on your conscience. And then we kind of get into trouble if we ignore that, don't we? The, the Holy Spirit kind of prompts us. It's like a guardrail on a highway that keeps us from falling off the cliff. Now, resolutions are important, but I think we all can agree that they, they don't work. It's a problem. And I think the, the real problem behind resolutions not working is because it's a problem with us. We have a discipline problem, don't we? Unfortunately, our human nature is always to try and find a shortcut. So we never put in the work that's necessary to become disciplined, don't we? Think about all the diet fads, even in the last, like, five, ten years. What's the diet fad right now? Is it keto? Is that the hot one right now? There was the Atkins diet, or was the eat-only-tomatoes diet, and then there was the don't-eat-any-tomatoes diet, take this one pill. They all have the same promise, right? Like, do the one thing that the diet says you're supposed to do, and you'll be in the best shape ever, and you'll lose 50 pounds in 14 days, and yada, yada, yada. It's It's all a bunch of baloney. Uh, I know from personal experience that becoming disciplined in the area of nutrition and weight loss, you have a daily discipline that you have to follow, right? You have to eat the right things. You have to exercise the right amount and train your body. You have to have a good mindset, and you have to do it over and over and over again. And you make, incrementally, you make progress. It's not overnight. There's no shortcut. Yes, there's, there's good advice. There's guides you can follow. There's fitness plans you can follow. But the bottom line of it all is that you have to do the work, don't you? If you want to be in good shape, you have to show up every day and put in the work. Now, doctors, psychologists, therapists, not only in the area of fitness, but they've all come up with, you know, marketing plans and doodads and doohickeys that there's hypnosis, there's motivational talks, there's books, there's special exercises, there's TV shows, and none of it really works. Does anybody remember in the 70s and 80s and 90s, they, they put out these tapes that you could plug in at nighttime and you're supposed to play them while you're sleeping and then subliminally somehow, yeah, the, the, the information gets into your subconscious mind and once your mind is informed, well then that's going to help you change. Well, that doesn't work, right? If it worked, we'd still be doing it. It just doesn't work. To change, we need a better method of self-transformation, don't we? And I think what happens is we have to have a moment where, with ourselves where we go, okay, I've had it. Something needs to change. And to have one of these moments, you kind of have to like almost hit like a rock bottom. Here's an example. I remember... About my, my last I've had it moment was probably about a year ago. And like we had this red car. It was a great car. We had that. I think Brett bought that like five years before we got married even. So like this car is like older than the hills. And uh, I remember it, Brett would drive it to work and I was driving our newer car. And one day we had to switch because I think the, our newer car had to go to the shop or something. So I'm driving his car. And we're going down Route 90, and the problem with this car is it's about, mm, I think, 12 or 13 years old at this point. It's a red Ford Taurus. My brother used to call it the granny car because it's kind of a full-size four-door sedan. It was really nice. It had a 
had a, a sunroof and it had like power seats and you know it was really fancy but anyway I, I have this car and the problem with the car is that the transmission isn't shifting gears properly so I'm taking my kids I got two kids in the back seat and we're going down route 90 and because the gears won't shift fast enough we're doing about 30 in a 70 zone and there's cars whizzing by us, and like we can't, just can't get this car to get up to speed. And that was my I've had it moment. It was like, okay, this car is not safe to drive. I got kids crying in the back seat, and my five year old's like, why won't the car go faster, mommy? And we had an I've had it moment. So I came, my husband came home from work that day, and I was like, dear, we need to get a new car. <laughs> and he did, he listened. So that was good. But that was the I've had it moment. And when you have a moment like that, that's when you put your foot down and you say, something needs to change. And that's what you need to do to change whatever bad habit is that uh, you're thinking about today. Now, because this is a sermon, I think we should have a look at what the Bible has to say about discipline. And it's it's interesting because the Bible often uses the metaphor of a relationship between parents and children when it comes to discipline isn't it sometimes it's literally they they're actually talking to parents and like this is how you should discipline your children and then god kind of uses the metaphor of okay you guys are the kids i'm the adult you need to obey and any of us who are parents know that children when they're not disciplined they're not really children they become wild little animals don't they there's always kind of that one kid in your in your son or daughter's class that just isn't disciplined and parents aren't stepping in and intervening and helping them out. Um, They're born selfish. They seek their own pleasure and comfort. They don't want to share with anybody. They want their way. They'll throw tantrums. And then it's our jobs as parents to kind of discipline that out of them, isn't it? Because we want them to grow up to be, you know, functioning, non-annoying members of society, right? We want them to be good adults. And we do that through the uncomfortable process called discipline, So God uses this metaphor of parenting kids. He says, I'm the parent, and you're the kid, and we're going to go through this thing called discipline so that you can grow up and be a good adult. And the way that he does this is by calling us to submit to him. Now, I know even just saying that word, like to some of you, that word just made you like almost recoil, and you're going, no, no, not, not submit. That is a dirty word. I don't want to hear it. Okay, don't shut your ears. Listen to the rest of the message. Um, it, I think, you know, some of you who, who just did that, maybe you have legit, legitimate reasons to recoil and say, I'm not submitting to anybody. You can't make me obey. You know, maybe you've had a situation in your life where you were subject to someone else and they let you down. They broke your heart. They ruined your life. I can totally understand that. But there are no footnotes in the Bible that say, okay, well, listen, if you've been to that, this doesn't apply to you. If you've been through, you know, heartache or submitting to other people, well, let's just put that aside and we'll try and work on other things. Uh, There is no footnote that says that. So I'm sorry if I'm hurting your feelings or offending you. And God and I had, you know, a pretty good argument over whether I was going to put this in today's sermon or not. And he said, you have to put this in there because I want to tell somebody. If you're recoiling at the word submitting, submit or the idea of submitting to god so badly is it possible it's a maturity problem in your life that you need to deal with and maybe god's calling you to deal with today taryn are you calling me immature well i don't know god probably is i want to stay out of it just the messenger 
But maybe he's using this moment right now to point that out to you. So don't disengage from today's message just because of that word, submit. You see, God wants us to mature. He wants us to grow and become disciplined, replace those bad habits that we have in our lives with good godly habits. Why does God want us to do that? One, because he loves us. And two, because it's very, very hard to use somebody that's undisciplined and disobedient. I mean, yes, there are lots of stories in the Bible where God uses disobedient people to accomplish his will, but it's a whole lot better to use a tool that's working properly, isn't it? God wants to use you, and he wants you to be happy too. So let's have a look at what Scripture says. It's in Hebrews 12, 9 to 11. It says, Shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So I want to use this passage today and uh, go through, I believe there are three benefits that come from submitting to God. And we're going to talk about those today. The first benefit is peace. Notice it says there will be a peaceful harvest. And uh, whenever I'm asked to speak um, or give a sermon or anything, I always like to kind of look at that passage that we're going to be using And I like to go read a Bible commentary. And I just want to kind of give this as like a side tip to you guys. If you're studying the Bible and you read something you don't quite understand, it's all online. Like you can Google Bible commentary Hebrews 12. And up will pop like a whole pile of recommendations of Bible commentaries you can read. It's a great Bible study tool. It just helps give a little bit more research and emphasis on behind, you know, what the author of of the verse was saying or maybe the political scene that was going on at the time just helps give like a deeper understanding and uh, my favorite commentators his name is Matthew Henry I think his is the the best written and uh, sometimes you read these things and they're like very um, scholarly uh, is the friendly word I'll use but you read it and it's English and you go oh I don't quite understand what's going on there because I can't understand what they're saying Matthew Henry's is kind of more spoken in like everyday human language Um, so he says uh, he says this about peace in referring to Matthew, or sorry, Hebrews 12, it says that affliction produces peace by producing more righteousness, and the fruit of righteousness is peace. So when we submit to God, it will produce peace, but after some pain that came from the discipline. I'll say that again. When we submit to God, it will produce peace, but after some pain from the discipline. And I think the best example of this is uh, leg day. In Jan, I think it was January 2nd or 3rd, I started sort of a new workout routine. I was kind of sick of the videos I was doing before that. So I started this new one, and it's, you use weights, and I was using heavier weights than I was used to. And I had my first leg day, and uh, it was a great workout. I was sweating. I felt good afterwards, you know, that good sweaty feeling after you get, like, a nice workout in. And uh, it was tough, though. By the time I got out of the shower, like, I could not walk. I was sort of doing the two shuffle like this to get everywhere. And then, like, I've got uh, my son will be two next month, and he weighs, I don't know, a good 25 or more pounds. Lifting him up, like, I would groan. And, like, every time my husband would walk past me, and I would kind of, like, wince with whatever I was doing because I could barely move. And he we would just kind of look at each other and laugh and go, ha leg day. So at the, the, the discipline came where we're working out and we're working those leg muscles. And then I couldn't walk for like four days. But after all of that pain, like I feel stronger. I can run for longer. My endurance is up. 
and my workouts are better. So after all of that discipline comes peace. I like how this passage says, a peaceful harvest of right living. Um, it's interesting. I've noticed kind of one common trend among really mature Christians is that they just have this peace about them. They're able to live peacefully, even if there's sort of stuff going on that, you know, might seem like quite a storm, like that last song that we sang before before we uh, took up this morning's offering. Like, through the storm, he's Lord, Lord of all. And, like, mature Christians can really, they really just grasp onto that, and nothing really shakes them. They're just very peaceful. And uh, it, it kind of, the opposite of that is kind of when I, I remember about 10 years ago, I was youth pastoring, and uh, one thing I would always preach to these kids about would be, do your life in the right order. Worry about school, get the job, then worry about dating, because dating in your teenage years, 99% of the time, just produces chaos. And the kids would look at me, and they'd be like, ha-ha, whatever, and then they'd go back to flirting with each other, right? And I, like, throughout my whole ministry as a youth pastor, I think I ministered for four years before I shifted positions, and I counseled kids and young adults through so much chaos. Chaos this, chaos that, you know, my boyfriend looked at another girl, and, blah, blah, blah. It's, and it's just, like, it just produces drama. And, like, I know that I see some of the kids laughing because it still happens to this day. It's just, like, it's like flies to honey, teenagers and drama. Yeah, it's all there. Doing your life out of God's order will produce chaos. And it makes, this reminds me of the story of Jonah. I read it through it yesterday in about 20 minutes. And if you're experiencing chaos in your life, would you go home after church today and read through it? It's four chapters long. It's kind of in the middle third of the Bible. It's a really easy read. And Jonah, it's a really simple story. God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach to those people that I'll kill them if they don't turn from their wicked ways and follow me. And Jonah said, "Mm, I don't think so. I'm going to go that way. He didn't listen to God's plan, and his life turned to chaos. He was caught in the middle of a storm, and then the boat guys figured it out, and then they tossed him overboard, and then he lived in the belly of a fish for three days. Like, even half of one of those things happening would make me stop and reflect on my life and be like, God, what am I doing wrong? And how should I fix it so I don't have to deal with this anymore? But, like, all three of those things, and then, like, the the last one here, he's in a fish's belly for three days. Like, Like, if that happened immediately, I would be like, okay, God, I'm done disobeying you. But it took three days of sitting in fish vomit for him to realize, okay, I'm, God is disciplining me because I'm not listening. And then as soon, the Bible says, as soon as he confessed and said, okay, God, I'll go to Nineveh and do what you want me to do, he says that the chaos stopped. So I just want to pause for a second this morning and think about that. Perhaps where you are today in your life, are you experiencing chaos because you're doing things out of God's order? Really think about the situation that you're in. Maybe God is speaking to you today and saying, okay, You've heard this. Now take a step in the right direction. Now, even though following God's instructions is, is it's kind of difficult, isn't it? And sometimes some of us don't want to take that step until we know what the end result is. And that's why we're hesitant to follow God and, and his instructions. But God isn't calling us to an outcome. He's calling us to obey the next step. 
And so look at what it says here in uh, Proverbs 3, verse 6. It says, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. It doesn't say, in all your ways, look at what the plan is and consider it and then submit to it. It says, just acknowledge him, and he'll make the path straight. So without knowing the A to Z of the whole plan, take a step. The second benefit that we get um, from submitting to God is the harvest of right living or the benefits of right living. I think we all know the old adage, you reap what you... So let's try that again. You fell asleep. You reap what you... Great, that's good. We reap what you sow. God says the harvest comes from submitting to him. It's a peaceful harvest of right living. I want to share with you a little story about my college days. Um, Have any of you ever had just sort of like a moment in life where everything was rosy and it all came together, all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed, and, you know, you just feel like singing kumbaya because God's on your side and nothing can take you down? I, I had one of those situations in my life. I finished up my internship here. And it was an eight-month internship. It was like a May to December thing. And then I had one semester of college left. I would have been in my early 20s at the time. And I really just felt anxious getting back to school. I got a full-time job at Starbucks. And I was taking a full course load and just being really busy. And kind of when things would quiet down just enough, usually kind of when I was falling asleep, I would just feel this panic kind of come over me. And I just felt really panicked about the whole thing. God, I have one semester of school left. What's happening? I don't, I don't know what the next step is, and you need to show it to me. And like Brett would even tell you how stressed out I was in that time because I, I was stressing him out. Like, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to get married? Or, you know, are we going to move to Winnipeg or somewhere else? And what if you can't get a job there? And, and uh, like, I just remember lots of evenings kind of in that quiet, by myself space, just kind of telling God about all this anxiety that I have about the future. And I remember one specific day I was kind of doing that, and I just heard like a really small, quiet impression from God. It wasn't an audible voice. I would love to hear from God audibly at some point in my life, but, you know, it was just kind of like this thought that came in, and it wasn't mine. It was God's. And he said, just wait. I'll take care of you. Don't worry about it going to be okay now um telling me to wait is like telling a two-year-old to wait um i'm not good at waiting but here's i decided to obey in that in that time of my life because really it was either be really anxious about everything or just listen to god and be patient and wait and obey and some good came out of that in in doing things god's way and listening to him i mean i we got engaged my husband now husband and i got engaged and I got a job offer, and he got a job in Winnipeg, and we got a house, and, you know, we packed up our stuff, we moved here, and we started off doing ministry here, and it all just came together, and that came from listening to God instead of trying to force my own way and make things happen, which is usually my nature, by the way. And I certainly hope none of you, you know, heard me tell this story and say, oh, it must be nice to be so lucky. I mean, that was a really intense three months, like working 40 hours a week. I think I had about six courses I was trying to finish so I could get my diploma and finish school. And there was a lot of stuff I didn't want to do, and there was stuff that I didn't want to give up. And it required the discipline. 
And I learned to obey God and enjoy the benefits of his blessing by obeying. You see, when you take on God's discipline, he's training. If you take, a, take on his discipline and his training, you experience a transformation. Look at what it says here in Hebrews again. It says, but afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So the third benefit that we get from this passage of Scripture and by uh, submitting, God and, uh, submitting to God and obeying him is transformation. When we train or submit to God and accept his discipline, the result is transformation. Now, a question I have for you this morning is, think back over the last 12 months. Has there been a transformation or are you the same person that you were 12 months ago? Are you cranky or enjoy gossiping or envious or maybe you're bitter or you're having a pity party for yourself i had someone come up to me after the first message and they said you know i when looking back at my life god has really changed and transformed me because i used to be really negative and i used to you know be mean to people and just really gruff and hard and now i feel like god has Submitting to God has helped me to become a kind person and more empathetic, and it's been really good. So think about it. The last 12 months for you, are you better, the same, or worse? Now, uh, it's, you really can't go through your life and continue to act the same way without any discipline and expect yourself to improve. Uh, I think we all know that Albert Einstein quote, and uh, after the first message we kind of had a little debate in the back and we said well is that einstein and we think it's einstein it says doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result is the definition of insanity if you've just been living your life bumbling along not paying attention to things don't expect great change to come from it because that's the definition of insanity maybe it's time for a change if you're getting sick of the same results in your life Okay, so I'm, I've st- sort of started beating that dead horse. Maybe you're thinking, okay, I agree, submit to God, we'll have a look at this. What does that look like? Well, submitting to God means two things. First, we have to have a relationship with God. When you have a relationship with God, you have to talk to him every day to know what he wants from you, right? You can't just consider God a friend and never talk to him. And we submit to God not because he's a control freak, but because his way is perfect. Remember I said at the beginning, God's not going to lead us into something that's not good for us. So we need to submit to that. Bad habits have a way of consuming our lives and making us spiral into chaos, don't they? Submitting to God will show you what's behind those bad habits. Like it's one thing to sort of fix the thing on the surface, But fixing the behavior on the underneath side, like really digging down deep and figuring out what's going on, that's what's going to change you. That's what's going to transform you. Have you ever happened upon yourself in the middle of a bad habit and you're going, oh, this is a really bad habit and I'm doing it, and then you do it anyway? Like, uh, do you ever like go to the fridge and you're not hungry and you just open the door and then you close it because there's nothing in there? Or, uh, you know, another bad habit I catch myself in is like that late night snack thing. Like, you're not hungry. 
that like you're at the pantry. I think la- last night I wasn't hungry and I made like a whole batch of caramel popcorn. It was delicious, but I knew that I shouldn't have eaten it, right? It's a bad habit. Or how about like that Amazon Prime bad habit? You know, it's just so easy. You can click once and it'll show up at your door in two days. Oof. Yikes. Some of us know that our laziness is a bad habit. We should be out doing things, but instead we choose to do nothing. One thing that therapists seem to agree on is that harmful behavior and bad habits flow out of emptiness. And I think that lines up with what we're talking about here, that underneath the bad habit, what's underneath that behavior. One therapist said we use bad habits the way drug users use drugs. The bad habit takes our mind away from our boring lives and it relieves our stress. The habit creates a reality that doesn't really exist, a brief utopia where things are just the way we want them to be. You see, habits and behaviors that are not good for you or for the people around you are just attempts for uh, for us to find happiness outside of God, isn't it? That emptiness, and that emptiness that exists is sort of a void that God should be filling, not whatever the bad habit is. And I think the fact of the matter is, and you can disagree with me on this or not, but I think I'm right, that our our behaviors and attitudes will never change until we learn to replace that emptiness with God. You've heard it lots of times. uh, Those of us who put our faith in Christ can call God Father. And if you look at Hebrews 12 again, it says, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father? We need to let God be like the Father in our lives, the perfect Father. And then we need to stop looking for the shortcut. There's not really an app that you can buy or someone you can hire or a book or, you know, a two-step method. There really is no substitute for the time and effort that it takes to have a great relationship with your Father in heaven. And by the way, you'll never get this satisfying relationship if you kind of do it-ish. It's like, okay, God, yeah, I'll have a relationship with you, but it's got to be on my terms. Uh, Ish is a wish. You need to do it God's way because there are really only two ways. There's God's way and the wrong way. So I need you to focus on having a relationship with God. And that's why our church follows what we call the seven habits. And I'm sure lots of you have heard this hundreds and hundreds of times, but it's good to be reminded this is a bookmark that we have as a church, and I think we've probably got some out at the information kiosk. And something that you need to do is put habits in your life that will help you build a relationship with God. So we're going to do like a little review. Do you guys remember what the seven habits are? Ooh, first service might do better than you guys. Okay, so the first servant habit is have a daily walk with God. Oh, that was good. Second habit is go to church weekly. Third habit, be holy moment by moment. Fourth habit, be in a small group. Listen, I want to pause here. And uh, this is for my friend Chris. If you're not in a small group, why? What walls are you putting up? What disobedient behavior or anxiety that you have is preventing you from joining a group? Did you know that a group will benefit from you being in it? And you will benefit from being in the group. So we got a new small series, small group series starting up in two weeks. And if 
you know, you've got sort of a pile of excuses that you've used the last 10 times you've been asked to join a group. Could you just maybe sweep those out of the way and say, okay, God, I'm finally going to submit. I'm going to join a small group. I'm going to figure it out in my schedule. I'm going to learn to deal with the anxiety that I have about meeting strangers. And I'm just going to do it. And I'm going to trust God that this is going to be good for me because you'll never lead me somewhere that's not good for me. The fifth habit is serving God by serving others. Sixth habit is discipleship. Be discipled and make disciples. And the seventh habit is give. I'm glad you guys know that one. Now, that's the good side of submitting with God, having a good relationship with him. It produces a fantastic harvest. But uh, sometimes God disciplines those that he loves, doesn't he? Let's have a look at this verse. There, accepting his discipline. So, sorry, that wasn't a verse. That's just a line. Um, God's discipline kind of works, and it's pretty straightforward. You One, you experience the consequences of your actions. And two, uh, you can pray and beg as much as you want, but God's not going to let you out of these consequences, right? Some might call this natural consequences. And one of the first major principles of the Christian life is that our Father in Heaven disciplines us for his own good. Not because he's mean or mean-spirited, but because it's good for us. Discipline is what changes us, and we can never move forward until we experience the consequences of our behaviors and attitudes. We have to accept God's discipline and even be thankful for it. And uh, I think the perfect illustration of this would be speeding tickets. And uh, I have, unfortunately, experienced speeding tickets in my life. Um, We used to live about two blocks from Garden Grove School, so often I would take Burroughs Avenue home. And uh, one year, I think it was 2008, I got two speeding tickets within like a week of each other, like two weeks before Christmas. And it was devastating. Like those tickets were so expensive. And my first natural inclination was just to be like, well, what was that guy doing on Burroughs anyways? Like, doesn't he know that everybody speeds down Burroughs Avenue? And well, he shouldn't have been there. I drive there every day. I go the same speed every day. Like, I shouldn't have to pay this ticket for just doing what I do all the time. And I, my natural inclination was to blame everybody else. But at the end of the day, when I paid those tickets, it was like, okay, I was speeding. This is my fault. And I have to pay the consequences. And you know what? I learned from that experience. Even to this day, I have never sped down Burroughs Avenue one more time. Unfortunately, I've been caught speeding in other places. But... Um, I I don't speed down that road anymore. I learned through the natural consequences of my actions. And that's exactly how God operates. He lets us experience the natural consequences of our behaviors. And he uses that to discipline us. And now some of you might be a new believer and or you've had a rough upbringing and you've never been disciplined or maybe the discipline you experienced in your life was mean-spirited. And not for your own good. It was for the benefit of somebody else. Uh, I just want to share this verse with you. And it says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. And this is God talking. It says, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. If you're experiencing the discipline of God, it's not because, you know, God thinks you're a bad person. It's because he loves you and he's shaping you into the person that he wants you to be. God says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. 
I discipline my children at home. I've got two kids. Casey's almost six and Leo's almost two. And I discipline them and, you know, make them share. And I'm sure those of you with kids discipline your kids too. Because you want them to do well in life. And you want them to be liked. And you want them to be successful and not annoying and contribute to society when they get older. If I, like an imperfect mom who, you know, sometimes loses her temper and yells and and doesn't do the parenting thing right all the time, if I'm whom an imperfect person, love my kids that much, discipline them, how much more does God love you and want you to be disciplined? And I want you to think about that. If If you're not experiencing God's discipline, look at this verse. It says, if God... If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. So sort of the option is is that you're not God's child and you don't experience discipline or God will discipline you as you mature and grow because he loves you. And there are really two reactions that you can have to God's discipline. Number one, you can resist it. You can be like me and blame everybody else for the consequences of your behavior. Or two, You can submit to it, but if you resist the discipline, you're not going to change. God never winks at sin or lets us off the hook, and he wants us to be changed and made new. And it's more important for us to be transformed than to be let off the hook, isn't it? It's more important to be changed than to say, ah, you can get away with it. If you get one ticket, you're not going to do it again. So if you're struggling right now, embrace the discipline and ask God to help you to change. We've just got a couple minutes left here, and I'm going to conclude. And I want you to think, have you been praying to God for him to change you? If you're going through a struggle right now, it might be that God is in the process of changing you now. Hebrews 12.6 says, For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. So this morning, if you're being disciplined, acknowledge it. Acknowledge where you are right now and where you're failing, and do the right thing. Ask someone to pray with you. After the service, we always have our elders at the front ready to pray with whomever needs it. Maybe you need to apologize to someone, make something right, pay something back. Maybe you need to forgive somebody. Maybe you need to start reading your Bible and having that relationship with God that you keep hearing about. Imagine, what are you going to be like a year from now, 365 days from today, What are you going to be like if you submit to God? Think about it. Just put yourself a year from now, and we're in 2020. Pastor Allen's preaching his New Year's services, and all that stuff is happening. What could life be like if you submitted to God today? And maybe some of you are experiencing that poke from the Holy Spirit that I was talking about before. Holy Spirit's just poking you, saying, See, I've been talking to you about this for a while, and today's the day to do it. Do whatever it is that God needs you to do before the sun goes down today. I'm going to close today's message, and I'm, I'm going to do something a little odd. I'm going to have us pray out loud together. And don't worry, because the person next to you is going to do it too. So why don't we stand up, and we're just going to pray a simple prayer. And we're going to submit to God together in church with our church family. Why don't you say it with me? You can close your eyes if you like. It says, Let's say it together. God, I submit to you now. Show me how to have a right relationship with you. 
and help me to walk in your discipline. Thank you for your discipline. Amen. Can you imagine? You know, there's, you know, there's well over 100 of us here today. What unstoppable force could we be if we obeyed God for the next year? If we took the steps required to walk in his discipline, our church would be an unstoppable force. So I encourage you today, obey your father in heaven. Submit to him. Do that one thing that he keeps nagging you to do that you feel really uncomfortable doing. And watch the harvest that comes from that, the peace that comes from doing things God's way. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for every person here, God. You have created all of us in your image. And God, it's your will that we obey you. And it's sometimes easy to be rebellious and go the other way, Lord. But we know that like Jonah, like how you punished him, you use discipline in our lives to help us to grow and to encourage us to do the right thing. So God, if there's a person that's struggling here this morning with obeying your will and doing the right thing, God, would you just strengthen them, encourage them, and help them to make the right step. And Lord, we just give you honor and glory and praise, and we thank you, God, for your discipline in our lives because it makes us more like you. We pray for all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you guys for listening.